Hello and welcome to Systemizer Success. I'm Dr. Steve Day and today I'm joined by Joe Davies. He's the co-founder of Hoso Simple, which is a short-term holiday let management company who have actually recently been acquired by Host and Stay. Joe now invests in holiday lets himself and he's a massively experienced in systemizing service accommodation businesses. So the question is this, how do entrepreneurs like us who don't have an endless supply of cash, how do we leverage the best apps, virtual assistants, automation tools and systems to scale our businesses, increase our profits and have more time to do what we love to do each day? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Dr. Steve Day and this is Systemize Your Success. And it's my pleasure to have you on the show today and chat about how you've done this incredible feat and yeah, what, what lessons you can teach the rest of us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Steve. I think it's just um, important to say what an honor it is to be on this show. I've listened to your podcast all the time and um, I think you're a massive part of my success. So I think this is a nice way to put it full circle. And um, yeah, be, be, to be a guest on your show all these years on is a real privilege. So um, thank you very much for having me. Oh, my absolute pleasure. No, I've been looking forward to this one, to be honest. Um, you know, we've started working together maybe four, five years ago now. Yeah, I think it was COVID. It was, was pre-COVID, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I always had my eye on you. And I was a typical drowning business owner who dreamed of having time to spend on the business. And then this freak event of nature where the world stopped meant that while everyone else was out walks and making banana bread and stuff I locked myself in a room and decided to throw myself into the world of systems and outsourcing which um was a great decision yeah no I actually remember it quite well because I think we just started working together before COVID and I remember you talking about having to furlough a lot of your staff because obviously service accommodation the the the, the business basically just died a death overnight mm. and um and I remember you saying this is like this is a great opportunity because now I can yeah. focus on my on my remote staff, my Filipino team, and get them up to speed without the distractions of daily work. And I thought it was such a great mindset about the whole disaster, and to yes. then come out the back of it a few years later, and to be in a position to not only grow the business but then ultimately sell it. I mean, that's the dream that most of us uh, aspire to, or at least be in the position to do that if we choose. So let's take it back to the beginning. Like, what? When did you start? How so simple? What was your dream at that time, and and what panned out over the the coming months or years until until we met? Yes, so it's quite an, an interesting one, really. I never actually knew I wanted to run my own business, which I know you hear entrepreneurs say, "Oh, I've known since day one I always wanted to work for myself." But I actually went to study business management in university in my hometown of Liverpool, and I was following the the typical process of you know get good a levels get into a good uni get a good degree get a good graduate job and i come from a family of of teachers who very much follow the head down work hard and enjoy your retirement type lifestyle and i sort of just bought into that by default without even realizing it was only when i actually went luckily i went on an internship so my degree had a year in industry which I thought would help me get a job but what it actually did was taught me what I didn't want to do. I went to work in Airbus, the plane manufacturer in Broughton which was a lovely place to work. It was 
a lot of people. It was lo- lovely people to work alongside. It was half day finish Fridays. It was flexi time. It was good pay. It was everything you want from a job, but it was a job. And that was what really hit me that I was just a number. There was 6,000 people on site. I had my ID number and my badge, and that was pretty much the only distinctive thing about me. And that really hit hard. I came back to university with a real fire at my, at my belly to try and think of something else to do. And and luckily, my now wife, Katie, um, she was actually looking after an Airbnb for a family friend. And she, it was the typical way that Airbnb worked back in the day. So if you think back to then, Airbnb wasn't quite as popular as it was today. And everyone who couldn't manage an Airbnb had someone through a family friend, whether it was someone's friends, neighbours, sister or something it was always these loose connections that's the one would look after and if you didn't have the the luxury of having someone's neighbor's sister to look after your airbnb you basically couldn't be doing it so um was a long story short we decided to um increase katie's prices she was getting probably about two percent of the income and doing all of the work because she was paid a fixed fee per changeover and um we launched oh so simple which was just a I sort of have a go business. I created the website on Wix, which is still the very website today that I created, which proves you don't need to pay a fancy web developer or spend thousands on a website. Um, and and we launched. And I think I finished university with nine clients. Um, and it was a major decision then of do I go and get the graduate job that I should get or do I give this business a shot? And um, I'm now very glad that we decided to give it a shot and we just grew organically and slowly over the years from there. So um, Casey played a massive role in in that. I mentioned before, my family teaches. I'm, I'm a very risk-averse person. Um, Casey is very much uh, more the optimist in the relationship. Um, dive in, and she, she pushed me a lot to say, this could have legs. We can do this. We can do this. And, um, yeah, I, I owe a massive amount to her for, for pushing us at that time. Um we funnily enough, we, me and Katie met when we were 14. We had a paper round together. We then worked in a bar together. So we now work in the business together. So we never really had a job separately other than my one internship. So um yeah, it's been a crazy ride since then, 2016 when we founded. So yeah, seven years and who know knew it would lead to to where we are today, um, being acquired by Host and Stay. I mean, fantastic journey. And before if you just Take it back then. So it's just the two of you to begin with. And yep. obviously, I presume you had cleaning staff and people on the ground helping you at some point. When did you start though actually getting the business systemized and actually the the daily work and churn, the stuff that, you know, the phone calls in the middle of the night and the 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 chasing people up and the ad the endless, endless admin of service accommodation? Like when did that change for you and what was the sort of the light bulb moment and how did you go from being those two people who were doing it all to you know fast forward a few years selling a a, a very substantial size uh list of of properties to to um you know to a, a different company yeah i think we went into it with our eyes wide open without properly realizing where it would take us so we didn't really know when things would change. They just saw it was like pushing a snowball down a hill. I mean, we just run as fast as we can with it and just seeing until we burnt out. I think one of the, the benefits of being so young, we didn't have many commitments. We didn't have mortgage, car, kids or any overheads, which 
I know it can be a, a thing that holds a lot of people back. And at the time, we were pretty, pretty fearless. We just come out of university. And I remember even in university, I was studying in my final year, trying to make sure I didn't get too distracted with the business to to ruin my degree almost. But I remember the, the client calls would be coming thick and fast whilst I was in the library. And I remember where, where I used to work was roughly about 30 seconds walk from the the this communal stairwell where you could take a phone call because it was ultra quiet in the university library. I remember the phone call would ring roughly about 30 seconds. So my my fast-paced walk from the computer to the stairwell down to the client call, panting away, trying to um, be, be as professional as possible and probably making a whole hash of it. But just stumbling by, and I think a lot of those calls were dealt with just by a sheer willingness to to succeed and help we genuinely genuinely wanted to be the best business of what we did but we probably didn't make the most smart decisions in how available we were we were 24 7 we give our mobile to all clients a typical business owner when they start and it very quickly becomes unsustainable i think i mentioned we had nine clients when we left it felt like we had 99 clients it's far easier to manage a business with 100 clients and a team and processes and systems than it is to manage nine or ten with absolutely nothing and just a sheer desire to succeed. So I think we were lucky in the early days that we hired, as a lot of small business owners do, family and friends to help us, um, which was was great because you had a bit more leeway, a bit more trust that maybe when you made the wrong decisions or you didn't quite make the right um, call with staff, they knew who you were and had the right intention. I think when you work with someone completely new and you come into chaotic business, it can be, a, this is not for me. Um, and I know there's a balance between a, a hustling startup culture and a just a, a mess. And um, I think we, we we definitely rode that line at times. But I think um, just asking for advice as well, like Katie's dad has always been in business in different areas. He owns a talent agency looking after like TV personalities and, and singers and stuff and completely different industry. But we'd always say, how would you approach this? What would you do? And Sometimes we disagree, but it was great to just have a bit of humility to know that we were young and we weren't afraid to be the dumb person in the room because we weren't trying to act like the seasoned pros and we were in a new industry with very little existing knowledge or professionals. So it was quite lucky that there was no experts in the room. We were just trying to to be that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, to answer your question more directly, over time, as we brought more staff in and people came and went um we just had to start picking roles we, we, we in the, when we had four or five of us we literally all did the same job there wasn't even a job title um we had mom, both of our mums were cleaning washing machine at home never stopped every banister had a duvet on a sheet at all times of the day or week um so it very much was it run with it until we get there but i think as covid came i think we were three years in then we were probably heading for for failure in that way we hadn't had a chance to stop and assess right where are we heading here um very much on on the hamster wheel as as they say and without much of a plan to get off it or how to get off it so um the, the first few years were very very intense and i i remember feeling very stressed at times with like literally pain in your heart with bags of tears in your eyes thinking how am I going to get out of this situation but just keep keep prodding keep going and eventually little nuggets of information are left for you um 
and it, I think it was just someone on Facebook recommending you and me saving it as a bookmark on my browser all these ago and yeah it's those little things that eventually work, work their way through and you can find someone who can hold your hand and say this is how how to do it so what will happen next i mean i, I must actually say just listening to your story it's it, it, like for me it brings back such like memories of, of my start in business proper business because it's similar to you i started my first business in my last year at university it was in property i hired my friends and family and my dad was like massively involved and he just put it with my nonsense and partying and turning <laughs> up late and whatever and yeah and yeah all, all all those things just massively resonate uh, i massively resonate with them so it's interesting because it's the first time i've heard that 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 part of your story so anyway we have a very similar we had a similar journey into the world of business i think um yeah. anyway yeah so, so what happened next so you've got to the point now you're basically you've, you've grown the business how many properties did you have under your, your belt at this point then before you you really got involved with systemizing so we actually had, and it's strange, you'd think we would linear go up as we grew. We had a bit of a strange um, growth where we actually hit 100 properties before we started working with you guys, but it was 100, we'll pro- I'd probably say 60 of the wrong properties, if that makes sense. It was just any property was was good and any clients and any standard. And again, naive, trying to go in and just, concentrate on the number it's, it's a question you get asked a lot when you're running an agency how many properties you manage and it's actually the wrong metric to, to qualify a successful business in my eyes I think we could very easily have double the amount of properties that we have even today but we would have a worse business a worse culture unhappier staff and I think when I learned that I, again it was in COVID when it's a lot of time to reflect and look at I think the Pareto principle of 80% of your problems coming from 20% of your clients and we just decided to take a bit of a gamble and we obviously lost some clients naturally through COVID pivoting to, to rentals and stuff like that but we almost sent a little bit of a an ultimatum shall we say um to some clients to say look we're trying to reposition the brand this is who we want to be this is who we are this property doesn't quite fit that doesn't mean that we're not right fit for you in the future just means right now this is what you need to do to fix it whether it's spend ten thousand pounds um or, or something that wasn't always money um and a lot of clients said no that doesn't fit in with us and we said that's fair enough and we recommended other agents to work with who might be able to help them and we actually slimmed down to about i think it was between 50 and 60 which was a very scary time because we had the same overheads as when Thalo started to you know tail off and staff started to come back we really needed to hit the ground running but then we grew back up to 100 in the years following and they were 100 quality properties which meant the the number of issues we had went down our average review score shot up our profit margin shot up so from externally if you're looking at the metric of number of properties we were stagnated we dipped and come back but internally the even just the mood within the company like i think we we decided i remember in, in one meeting we said if you wouldn't proudly put your parents in there or your grandparents they shouldn't be on our books and I, I we used to say if if we wouldn't stay in there ourselves but we all had different ideas of what that is and I think you've got quite heightened standards when you decide to put someone else in there on your behalf so um yeah that was a real pivotal moment for us and really actually allowed us to focus on who we want to be I know that you hear a lot of people talk about 
mission and vision and values and they can sound like fluffy words to a small business owner who's barely you know making ends meet trying to stay alive in the the chaos of tasks but it, they they mention it for a reason because it's it's not just to stick a nice poster on the wall and say look at us we're a big business it's actually to give you direction and to know if if you're going to receive 200 new sales calls in the next two months how are you sifting through them what is the criteria that because it's not all about any sale is a good sale and i think especially in a service led business um that is even more pivotal and once we identified our brand it actually attracted even more of the right people to us because we were verbally and explicitly stating who we were and where we positioned ourselves in the market rather than just trying to be in a, a one-size-fits-all company so um so yeah we, we we dipped and came back and to be honest didn't grow too much higher than that we we finished and we were acquired about 107 properties but um yeah if you look at like the, the figures behind the business they were very different yeah no i can relate to that you know in the early days when you're trying to just put food on the table so to speak then yeah you take anyone that comes and offers you some money um but as the business grows and as the staff start actually feeling the pressures of having less than ideal clients then you realize there's a time to actually do something about it and i think it took yeah. three, three years of of trying to finally publish my my values uh, as a business and internally mainly um yeah um but obviously we share those with our clients as well and it like we now have that as a central part of our team uh, culture that like about actually talking about our values and our mission on a weekly basis and yeah and people that are interested in that quickly leave the company yeah um, that's yeah. great so it helps on that side as well i think it's it's yeah you you can use it and it does change the type of client you work with um but similar to you our our uh, number of clients we work with at any one time has actually gone off gone down significantly but our um the the success rates plus the the profit of the business all those things have gone up because we've made a real decision about who it is that we can serve the best possible in the best possible way and they get when you when you hit this nail on the head it's like you just do what you want to do and people love you for it and that yeah. is when you get a winning combination yeah it's effortless okay not, yeah not effortless but it's without you know moral yeah, dilemmas it, anyway <laughs> it fits your purpose as well as what you're trying to do per personally and run a business one of the best books i read about this concept was oversubscribed by daniel Priestley, yeah. and he actually advised above the contact us page on our website to actually explicitly write how so simply how so simple is a company founded to fill a gap in the market to service these type of clients we only work with high quality properties, two bedroom and above, and only in Liverpool city centre. And even though most people would read that and go, oh, it's not me, the people who would read it and go, that's me, that's me, that's me. Yeah. Oh, this is the perfect company for me because I fit all the criteria. Yeah. So we were actually sifting through that criteria anyway once everyone had inquired, but putting it above the contact us page um, only increased the quality of leads we got and reduced the quality of badly so we happen to say well we don't service that area sorry or the property is not quite for us yeah. um it reduced that time as well so it was a a great book to read at a pivotal time for us yeah now we just i've got i've got a video rather than a it's like please watch this video before you book a call because there's no point in booking a call if i can't help you 
So exactly. you know, yeah, it's a it's a great way to uh, to sift through people or to at least rationalize who you speak to. Um, so let's talk about systems because you know this is the systemizer success yes. podcast. Um, you're at this point now where you've got you had a hundred, maybe dropped down to sixty over COVID. You mentioned at the beginning that was a, a time for you when you went deep on the systemization of your business. And, and I know from, from memory, that's when, or I think from memory, uh, that's when you started looking at working with um, virtual assistants from, from places like the Philippines. So what was that journey for you? How did you turn that, you know, in your own words, um, I think you said it was sometimes slightly chaotic, um, sort of business yes. where you're basically just, just doing everything, but without a, a proper system behind it. Like, what happened between that to being the business which you then ultimately sold, and how much do you think that played in in the eventual sale of the business? Yeah, I mean, I can talk about this in the actual detail as well, which I think probably would be beneficial more than more than generally. Where we actually created an Asana project. Um, and Asana was something I learned through System for Outsourcing, which still used to this day um, religiously. But we listed absolutely every single process or task in our business, regardless of whether it could be outsourced. Potentially, that, that question was going to come later. It was sending an invoice. It was paying staff. It was scheduling meetings. It was responding to guest queries. It was answering phone calls. It was sending emails. It was absolutely everything. And we come up with this ginormous list and then I seem to we, remember you actually. This is going back, but I seem to remember you came to me one day with a with a spreadsheet. Yes, we just we, had, we uh, it was a team effort as well, just to say everyone record everything you do, and if there's a task in our business that gets done, even if it's just one person, it needs to be on yeah. this list. And then it was actually really nice to see the chaos in written form because it didn't solve anything there and then, but it 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 made the the problem or the beast in your mind feel finite. And I know, you know, whenever it is, there's always something that can always go more granular. But just seeing the the thing that goes on in my head every day on paper um, was really, really nice. And then we then can work with that. Once it's written, you can then start to go, right, what category is this? This is more customer service. This is more admin. This is finance. This is marketing. We broke it all down and we quickly realized we're very much a, a service-led business um customer service i think as i said before clues in the name of service accommodation and that's where we needed most of our help um it was also one of the the lowest income generating tasks in terms of like return on investment from me and katie um working on, on those things so we decided to bring in a va um which i think one of the best things for systems for outsourcing was was that it didn't just say hire a VA and ask us any questions. It literally held our hand all the way, even to the point of letting us work with an existing VA who's used to working with novice business owners who was doing actual tasks in our business, but giving us on the job training. I remember JJ, who was great. Um, and she would say, next time you set this task for me, maybe it's better to do it in this way or give me more clarity at the front end or um, you didn't give me an allowance of time on how long it would take. And even though we were still getting things actually done in the business, she was training us on the job. So it was a great way to learn. And I know everyone learns differently, but for me, listening to the theory of things, especially when a lot of the course is obviously video focused and um, conceptualizing things, the on the job um, elements of it was what I think 
set out systems for outsourcing from from the the other type of agencies and we say who are out there it's not an agency it's a education system to help you become your own agency in, in essence and it gave us the confidence then so that when we did hire someone we had jj to ask for questions as well as yourself as well as the other team but also we'd made a lot of the mistakes that we would undoubtedly have made with our first hire and possibly put them off and possibly made them feel inadequate or not for the job or whatever when really it's it's us um i i had a great podcast the other day with constantly reminds himself of the Taylor Swift song it, it's me I am the problem it's me and I think it's a great thing for business owners it's it, it's 99% of the time us when there's a problem and I think the biggest thing with hiring VAs is that we we wait until we're absolutely desperate and so overran with with work that we go right I'm going to hit, hit the VA button and think that my world's going to suddenly be solved and you have to remember these these VAs which Ultimately, I don't even like the term VA too much. I think you've mentioned this as well. Um, yeah. they're, they're human beings, they're people, and whether they're based in the Philippines or in England or wherever they are, to come into a chaotic business with very little systemization or structure, regardless of industry, regardless of pay or anything else, is probably not going to end well or at least not begin well. And I think the the crucial thing I learned from Systems for Outsourcing was that when that initial VA came, we had a much nicer structure, a much more like clear path on how the next few months were going to go. And I'm proud to say that that VA who initially joined us, the very first one all those time, is now our most senior VA, VA in our team. She's hired multiple VAs for our business. She's a massive advocate for our business. She's one of the top performers across the team, not just for VAs, but just the, the entire business. And I remember saying recently to Katie, I think if we had a really comp- complex complaint that came in, that was, you know, high level, it was detailed, it needed someone pretty switched on to deal with it. She's actually one of the number, if, if not the number one person in my team to to deal with it. She doesn't just draft an email and say, is that okay? She she goes far beyond expectations. And I think um, that was ultimately the, the penny drop then. The penny drop that, wow, this is special, this could be amazing. And then it, it very quickly became how fast can we almost systemize the success of recruitment yeah. again and again and again to just replicate the success we had with the the first VA whose name was Rolinda. Um so um yeah that that's how the sort of world of VA started for us. Yeah. And you know you mentioned that I don't like the the term VA. And uh, you or virtual assistant. Uh the two reasons I don't particularly like it is is one virtual assistant isn't a role. There's no business in the planet that starts out and goes, you know what, I need to grow. It's a bunch of virtual assistants to do virtual assistant work. It's, you know, you're using, you you need work getting done and maybe it's a marketing assistant, maybe it's a letting assistant, maybe it's a marketing yeah. manager. And so by, um, so one of the things that my bug bears is like, just give people, a, I don't I know you're saying that you don't, I'm not saying that you don't do yeah. this, but it's like, that's what my bugbear is like, is, is if you have the mindset that this person is a VA, and you're trying to fit them into your business, there is no place for them. So the end of oh, what I see with many business owners, there'd be, you know, the, the person that basically deals with the crap or that they, I can't, I don't know who else should do this. So I'll just give it to the VA. Whereas yeah. as soon as you start having to think about roles and positions and, and responsibilities and KPIs and actually define what somebody does, it gives them ownership. It gives them um, motivation it makes them feel part of the business like they va- you yeah. value their work all these things i'm sure i know you do like like that's 
the thing that's a game changer for me in in terms of mindset for the business owner and the success of hiring that remote worker and yeah so i think that's that's the the, the key well, you, you, you yeah. say um it's easy for me to say this now because i've, I've i'm experienced with vas but at the time i wasn't and i didn't appreciate that fact and i did very much treat them as a va when you when you're new and that's why even you creating the terms of engagement document for me to fill out you asked me what is this va's job title yeah like i might not have even had that question or even communicated that to the va if i'd done it on myself i had to come up with a proper job description clear parameters on how they would be paid what their hours of work were everything and it's that hand-holding that crucially i needed at the time to not just be successful for me but for that va to feel clear in what they had to bring to the table and it's obvious looking back now and we, we, we've now got 12 VAs um well actually we had 12 VAs when we were acquired we're now 20 plus in, across the business yeah. and um yeah it's it's amazing to see just how they integrate into the team and if you're on a team meeting with us other than the fact they're on a screen the contribution to the discussion how they engage with their colleagues or customers, you would not know that they were VAs are just as much part of the team as the the UK guys sitting around the office and the managers. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, one of my other long-standing clients um, is a guy called uh, George Ferdis, who have actually interviewed also on the podcast a few times. And he's got a team now, 60% Philippines, 40% UK, and and exactly the same. I mean, exactly the same scenario he talks about. It's like, to be honest, like, like there's there's there is no difference in his mind between the two the, the remote versus the local um yeah it's purely geography um, yeah for me it's a little bit different because my entire team's remote so this is the only thing i've ever known in this business yeah um, but yeah it's i think it's really great you can be quite hear. cynical when you start and i'm not afraid to admit i was like when you hear about oh filipino answering my um phone phone call line is that going to look great for my customers they're going to sound like they're in a different place call center vibes and stuff like that and i was quite a cynic myself of that and thinking oh they'll just be back of house but actually we we brits are not the most confident at being overly customer servicey anyway and hello welcome to um liverpool how can we help you today it doesn't come naturally to us we're quite reserved was i think some of the um the vas flourish flourish in that role they got um, great English accents they're very confident and that's what they love to do and I think actually putting a um putting me on the end of a phone sounding grumpy saying hello how can I help you against one of the the VAs who works in our customer services team I think yeah I I would undoubtedly be a a worse worse initial customer experience for our guests than than those guys anyway so it's not actually a step down in any way shape or form and that was a bit of a swallow for me to admit that i was wrong at the start yeah and i think that especially customer service because it's such a big industry over there the bpo industry um which is heavily leaning towards or leans towards customer service for the big you know the big organizations in the world they have huge uh, offices out there just filled with people basically on the phones dealing with complaints and customer service and they get off it's also what's that word expression a blasphemy of fire is it when basically they go into this this is straight out of university they go in there and they do a few years of hell in there and yeah. then come out this completely you know trained to their absolute hilt of being brilliant at coping with with the worst type of clients or just being brilliant being nice like you say and yeah. then we get we get the benefit of picking them up and because they want a different lifestyle and we can offer it them and, and yeah. often often with better pay than they got before and definitely better 
work-life balance and not having to commute or live away from family and all those sorts of things, uh, which as um, as independent yeah. business owners, when people are working from home, uh, if that's the lifestyle they want, it's hugely beneficial. So yeah, we I think it works really well both both ways. Yeah, well, you mentioned an important point there as well of they come from big companies in the BPO industry a lot of the time when they work for a small business with a much more of an impact and a, a, a proper culture of like making friends within the team. They're not just a number. It's the same reason I got into starting my own business. That is a huge plus for them. So a lot of the time, small business owners think, oh, this is not for me. It's only for the big guys. I can't yeah. possibly outsource my back end. But actually, they prefer to work with a company like you where they have direct access to the owner. They Their decisions will make an impact on the future of the business and they're not yeah. just a number in a call center. So it's, um, again, a, a, another misconception that a lot of small business owners have about VAs. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that one of the, the big sort of well, interesting things on me looking, having been a witness to your journey, I was involved for a period of time, but then I've just uh, been aware of what you've been doing since then, is this 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 transformation of being a total local-based staff with little belief that it could be done any other way to now hearing you today, just a total change of uh, of opinion and and where you now sit with this and, and, a, and a massive advocate um and i think that well just i think that's a fabulous thing to to be being being a witness to and a party of a party to but um i guess one question that comes to mind is okay we may have given you that nudge and and help you giving the system to the hiring and the onboarding whatever but there's still this okay so you've got a son and you've got a bunch of tasks in there you found the confidence to go out and hire some you know, talented or experienced or just dedicated virtual team. But how do you run 100 properties simultaneously without your day-to-day involvement? How do those two things come together? That's what I think would be interesting to know. Yeah, that's no, a very good question, Steve. I think um, there's that famous saying of a, a journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step and that big list that I mentioned before doesn't just eradicate itself. That's a lot of hard work, but it's focused hard work and it's repayable infinitely over the long term. It's not a do this task this week and it will pop up again next week. As you work your way through that list of processes in your business, all of a sudden the balance tips a little bit. And now, now you've got more processes systemized in your business than one's not. And then it's, it's almost the opposite of compound interest where you, you get more and more time back that eventually the um, speed at which you can systemize these tasks becomes even faster to the point now where if a new task comes up in our business, it's very quickly systemized before it even becomes a, a headache as we know that this needs to be systemized if it's to be scaled. So obviously when, when you hire your first VA, you can't just say, right, great, we're done. You systemize my business. I'm going to go and live on the beach. You've got to, um, almost feed them the list of processes that you created either through your loom videos or your yeah i remember the didact um acronym of of all the different things we did as they almost build their base of processes that you fed them they then begin to make their own because now the business is still evolving it's not a static list that you create in 2016 and then off you go it's one that you have to keep evolving over time but they buy into the ideology of why it's important it's not just a dump of 
um, processes on their to-do list to say, do a video for all of these, please. They know the importance. And they're also, in, in our case, going to be hiring the next VA to take their place very soon. We always try to promote from within. Yeah, We always try to move the VAs into different positions within the business that best suit their requirements. Um, I don't know it like a hated thing that we did. And we do task confidence surveys of what they feel that they know or what they don't like. And ultimately, as they move forward, the tasks that they once did and, and created the process for is now being used by the next VA who's following a similar journey. And it's that lovely sort of full circle where um, you just need, again, to use the snowball analogy to push that snowball down the hill by getting that list done start to chip off a few a week i think i had a target of like four or five a week and if i had any spare time i'd try and get through some more but eventually if you just keep plugging at it eventually the the, the table sort of tips and you get up one day and think wow i that everything that my va has done today i would have done six months ago yeah. and now I'm, I'm able to go and find a new task or focus on something different and it's a it's a it's a liberating feeling that I can't describe on a podcast, but it's it's almost magical when you think this is why all those hours of work and all those calls with Steve and all the years of, of chaos, so to speak, were worth it because now it's not like you've shifted the chaos onto someone else. It's actually a, a thriving person in a, in a business who really enjoys their job and is really getting on with um, what they need to do to, to make their cog in the machine work. Yeah. And if they're if they're a part of something like that, then exactly, it's like they know that the work they do has value, and that going back to you saying earlier as well about like when when someone's come from an industry where that isn't the case, and you give them that, then they forgive you for a lot when things aren't right at the beginning, or as things you know. The new challenges come up or you really you screw something up but if you've given something something beyond the the job yeah whether that's the culture the community within the business as well all those things you just ticked if i ask my team what's the biggest reason they stay with me i think most of them would say it's the team not of me course. not me of course. not what we do not, not the you know, it's the team and yeah. um and that's something that you if you've never worked with remote workers it can be hard to understand how that could even be because none of my staff have ever met each other, even though they all live in the Philippines. Philippines is a big country. And, yeah, well, that was actually one of the proudest things that I had recently where all of our staff actually met each other in the Philippines. Some of them went on the train for four plus hours. Some yeah. of them took their family and they went to church together. And like I think one of them went to visit a friend and played the guitar in the church in the service and mm. just seeing that they sent a picture on our sort of internal chat and seeing two families come together with two of the VAs we'd hired and they actually become friends when little old me sort of plowing away a few years ago with bed sheets has actually led to that yeah. friendship is just crazy and um yeah, it's something that I'm so proud of that we've managed to do because it's not just we didn't just bring them together in the business and they become friends. It's the culture we've created to allow that to flourish. They aren't just colleagues who have to, you know, big brother style track every minute and they don't work hard. Someone else is in the door. Like we really try to foster a, a team spirit. Like we take the team out for a meal in the UK. We go for restaurants. We do a pizza party for the VAs. They get a grab voucher. 
they can order food for their family. It costs next to nothing for the business. They all join on Zoom and play music and we all try to come on and just have a bit of a, a quiz or something like that. But for them, that is huge. They spend most of the day in the same room at home, logging on and being able to feel a connection through the screen is what I think is ultimately the the next level after systemizing. You can systemize and systemize and systemize, but if you actually want to create a culture that layers on top of those systems to bring it all together and to feel like it's an actual team effort, that's what I think was what really accelerated our growth. Um, because once we did all the systems that were set, the next level is performance uh, and how we can actually excel the team above just following the system and actually thinking with initiative feeling trusted, having confidence to not ask for permission all the time and have a go. And that isn't coming from just someone telling you to go for it. You need to feel trusted. And it's a hard thing to achieve through a remote working team, but very much a possibility that anyone can do if they just do what is a, a good manager is in the UK as well, whether you're in the UK, America, South Africa or the Philippines, just make people feel appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, one of the things that I I learned, I mentioned this book a few times on the podcast, but um, The Effective Manager by Mark Horstman, and we actually have some of his teachings, which we've brought into our course because it's so powerful. And the having having regular one-to-ones with your team, giving feedback in a really structured, meaningful and productive way or change the future behavior. And all these things, they build that trust that you just described. And I think when that's, that observation, you meant that trust is a two-way street you can trust them but they have to trust you otherwise one they will not take risks and then you get frustrated and i've been guilty of this just i can uh over the over the years just i can i feel myself sort of getting too involved and that just by the fact you're getting involved means you're undermining the trust or the, the feeling of trust that they have with you so you've got to let people have that total confidence that whatever decision they make is going to be okay, even if it doesn't go okay. <laughs> of course, yeah. And, and there's, a, there's a great book. So one of our values is we poke the box. And it's taken from Seth Godin's Poke the Box. And uh, and so when my staff join the company, they're actually one of their uh, parts of their onboarding is to read this book. It's anyway, a short, small book. Um, but it's all about that. If you want to be a good business owner, if you want to be a good employee, if you want to get on with life or get progress forward in life is you've got to be willing to try the unknown to take the risk to learn from the mistake and especially when you're working with people from cultures like in the um, southeast asia and i'm sure in other parts of the world as well is that risk-taking culture has to be nurtured because it's it's there's such a fear of reprimand or being reprimanded for doing things wrong that that it's something that is not for not without exception but generally speaking isn't something that a lot of people i've worked with from the philippines find natural and easy so literally yeah, day agree. one you arrive in my company here's go to amazon go, we've got a kindle account go and read that book you know it's part of what we're it's actually one of our values because i realized the importance of making people realize we were serious about it yeah one of the the best tips i can give for trying to foster that um, beyond what I mentioned before was whenever we had our team meeting, a lot of team meetings are, you know, logging onto a Zoom call, sitting there watching a conversation have we had that you're not really too much of a part of. 
and making sure that you're ready if anyone calls your name and it can be as we're all humans it can be quite boring at times if you're not privy to all the conversations so we always finish our team meeting with a reward and recognition um slide which is essentially a list of our core values at the top five core values and we just call out any other team members who we think have demonstrated that core value this week so we could say i think Melinda showed core value number three which is to show initiative or whatever it might be when she did x task and it was a great way for the managers to call out the team who took risks and even though it might not have come off would say they showed the core value of of, of our business by doing that task and even though the, the the result wasn't quite what we wanted that's the exact behavior we want but you've got 10 other VAs on that call listening in seeing someone be publicly praised for something they thought they shouldn't be doing so yeah. it's 10 times the value of and that person now feels confident that they can go again and it's a great way to celebrate genuine wins as well and it always finished the team meeting on a high everyone feel like off with the buzz the tone of everyone's voice would go up and people would make notes all week on how they would fill the reward and recognition and sometimes you had to, to stop it because it was just it was going on for 10 plus minutes but it was just one of the my favorite parts of the week and i think it was massive role in pulling together the team who eventually would praise each other they would call out another va who would help them and why and i was just gonna gonna say we do a very yeah. similar thing but a slight spin is is rather than uh sort of me or the manager pointing people out so there's to avoid any favoritism we just get the team to say where they seem their colleagues display the values so it's exactly the same principle yeah no um, i thought we do yeah, yeah. So everyone has equal say yeah. um it's just great to fe- see them getting the confidence to then give praise i, th- I think i got the idea from uh traction by gina whitman but i've, yes. I've, I've just made yeah. it up is it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 so tra- yeah. traction is a very I, I did a lot of my business is linked to the eos yeah um, entrepreneurial operating system by gina whitman so, yeah a lot of the stuff um, we yeah. Take make, we've made our own take on it but a lot of the stuff we actually in the coaching program is based on 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 that when it comes to the management meeting structure um yeah KPI results right right person right seat all that sort of stuff so yeah and the values and the mission it's yeah. a, they've got actual exercises of how to do that you don't just get in a room and say what should we do then no. it's actually it took me two, took me two years <laughs> yes <laughs> but yeah it was worthwhile oh fantastic oh, i'll tell you one last thing just on that same note while i remember um Another thing that I actually learned from Georges, who I mentioned before, yeah. he has a, uh, in a Slack channel, which is a company wins and a company misses. So he has one okay. Slack channel for company wins and one for the company misses. And people just basically paste in once a day. I've actually put it on the, on the task board, update company wins and misses. So everyone has to do it as one of their accountable tasks. And they have to put something on there which screwed up or went well. And, and yeah. then people then start seeing that everybody is screwing up every day. And yeah. that is an incredibly powerful thing. And it and it's taken so much fear out of making mistakes. So yeah, I can't thank George enough for sharing that little little tidbit with me. But yeah, yeah that's that's great. I love that. Joe, we're gonna have to draw this one, John, draw this one to a close. Um, we've been chatting for ages and I could continue chatting to you for for many, many more hours, I'm sure. I'm sure we will going forward. Um but for today, is there anything else you would like to share or close on that we don't think we've covered today? No, I don't think so. I think uh, one of my main messages I want to get across today was just systemizing it is just so important to start as early as you can. The, the, the earlier the penny drops, the better. There's no time when it's too late to start and there's no time too early to begin. 
it's just the moment you truly understand how important it is to, to get it sorted, but to not stop with systemizing as the only answer and that the people behind running the systems are just as important. And too often I see businesses with one or the other um, and treating your people as people and not be it, as we've mentioned, is I think testament to the, the culture and success of Host So Simple. Um, and that's one of the things that I'd say it is mostly un- misunderstood with business owners who are too busy to understand it. They just need to get that list done, systemize, and they think the job's done. And I think if I can get one person to understand from this podcast that the job doesn't stop at the systemizing part, you can actually, in a way, with some of the tools we've mentioned today, almost systemize your culture. It doesn't mean you have to force everyone to be happy. And, you know, if no one's smiling, that you're not fitting our culture. It's just little tools like the reward and recognition or like Georges's company wins, company misses. That isn't forcing people to be a certain way. It's just exposing what is already there and making it more obvious. And I think as business owners and managers, we have a responsibility to not just foster a culture through the the usual ways, but also the, the unusual ways. And that if there's any systems and processes we can do to try and elevate that or make it more prominent in the day-to-day chaos of business then we definitely should do so i'm I'm really happy with the fact that we've managed to touch on that already and that was the only thing i wanted to make sure was was heard from my end today yeah no fantastic well it's been an absolute pleasure but before you do go i do have a quick question to ask you two quick questions actually firstly you're obviously a lover of systems and i'm sure that includes a bit of technology here and there um what three two or three apps or plugins or software would you not be able to live without in your business either now or going forward yeah i knew this question was coming so i thought i'll try and be a little bit more off piste i think the obvious ones are asana and google drive and you know zoom etc so um i'd like to go a little bit deeper with asana so asana is so powerful as a tool and a lot of people will have to-do lists already. And when you try to explain Asana in a verbal format, in a conversation, it is impossible to explain how powerful it actually is. One of the the features that I love in Asana is Asana rules. So um, I have my to-do list, which is set up. I think you helped me do this with your most important tasks, your pending and yeah. all these different columns. But I have um, different columns, which for future so I, I actually have a car park list which is essentially like one day in the future i'd love to look at this but right now it's it's not getting the time of day um i look at that mostly on flights or places where i've got a lot of time and not much um other work i can be doing but asana rules means that i can set a date in the future where it'll pull in to the column that i want automatically so if i send an email or if i have a task that i need to maybe look again at the end of the month if i open my laptop on the monday of that week it might drop straight into the column of today's to-do list. It's almost like a, a PA within Asana, which is um, amazing. And then um, I think actually that's only for the paid version of Asana, which yeah. at the same time I heavily recommend anyway, but um, the free version is also very good. Then we've got, and again, it's a bit more niche, but I think for people who are listening to this with an essay background, it, it's still worthwhile. I thought I could go over general, but Absolutely. I'd be I'd be lying if it wasn't actually helpful for me. And that is the the PMS software that I use to run my business, which is Guesty. Guesty is very powerful. It's also very expensive. But I'm a big believer that 
you should be getting as much out of technology as you possibly can within your business and then trying to systemize the surplus and not trying to systemize what ultimately a software could do. Um, so Guesty does all sorts of things. It's, in my opinion, the best in class software for service accommodation. It's more aimed at maybe larger users um, towards five plus units. But like we're a business now with a thousand plus units. We're using Guesty day in, day out. It's very robust very powerful and um, really recommend it. And the last one is more property related. So as I've um, exited my business, I've become a bit more prominent in investing myself and jumping that fence almost to the client side and now accumulated a little portfolio of holiday lets. And one of the, the great tools I discovered recently um, was a tool called Prop Bar. Um, Prop Bar essentially like ties into Rightmove and, and Zoopla and just gives you a whole lot of more information that is often missing on those listings, such as when it was last sold, um, had it been reduced in price, what the EPC rating is, which can often have the square footage of the apartment in, any old floor plans that have previously been uploaded. It just is a, is a nice add-on tool for those looking to try and um, acquire property in the future, which gives you a leg up on your competitors who might not have that information or might be booking in a viewing to go and find out that information and you're now a little bit ahead of any com competitors who might be able to bid on the property. So, yeah, um, Asana Rules, Guesty and Prop Bar are my um, three three recommendations. Fantastic. I like them all. Um, and finally, this podcast is called Systemize Your Success, but what does success mean to you? Yes, um, I think success is ultimately what you define. And my my success a while back was was freedom, but I realized that actually is quite a, a vague term. And I was introduced to the concept of of time freedom, location freedom, and financial freedom as different segregations of of that. And being able to focus on one of them to achieve one of them first before you go into the others made achieving ultimate freedom which is in my opinion all three a lot more of a achievable goal um so financial freedom is obviously to have as much money to do what you want um and, and spend as much as you want time freedom is to to have as much free time as you like and and not be tied down to to any role and location freedom is to work from wherever you want in the world and not be tied down to a specific location so um for me at the moment i um I'm focusing on the financial freedom aspect, which is investing into into property. But then in the future, as as that property portfolio hopefully matures and begins to to return, I would then move on to being able to be more time free and and location free. And I think being specific with what you want makes the goal much more achievable than a generic word of freedom, which I was guilty of in the past. And being introduced to that concept more recently has made things a lot more focused for me in the next few years of my life so i would say yeah success is being focused on what type of freedom you're hoping to achieve and and ultimately achieving that i think that's that's the mark of a successful person fantastic great answer joe it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for taking your time out of your day to uh, come and have a chat with us here and uh, i look forward to our next conversation Oh, thank you so much for having me steve it's a real privilege to be on here and um like i said at the start i owe a lot of what I've achieved down to some of the, the tools that you taught me back in the day. So, um, yeah, a massive thank you. And a massive congratulations on existing business. So, well done. Cheers. Thank you. Fantastic. Cheers, Joe. Thank you.
Thank you so much for joining me and listening to this episode. I'm well aware there are hundreds of great business podcasts out there and you chose to listen to this one. And for that, I am truly grateful. Hopefully what you heard today took you one step closer to building a successful business so you can share your passion with the world and serve an ever-growing number of people. If you got value out of today's episode, then so will someone else you know. By sharing with others what has helped you along your way, you will grow your influence and be the guy or girl that everybody wants to know. So please hit the share button right now and also remember to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss future episodes. It's impossible for me to cover absolutely everything in these podcasts. So please do head over to systemizeyoursuccess.com right now and download the show notes, transcriptions, and some of my best frameworks and systems for free. Thanks again for tuning in and being a part of this amazing community. Until next time, this is Dr. Steve Day and you've been listening to Systemize Your Success. Your Success.